And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. Welcome back, gang. It's uh, It's been a week. And of course, we are full to the brim of nerd entertainment news. And as usual, it's always tricky to figure out which, which stories do I want to share. And... Um, I think I got some good ones for you this week. I will say, unfortunately, I was hoping to talk about the amazing trailer that was supposed to drop for Avengers 4, but that didn't happen. I am a little salty about that. I was really looking forward to it. In fact, uh, I I was looking around. I was at the post office today to pick up a couple books, and... uh, I found this one that said, oh, it's a, there's a trailer. I'm like, yes, I, finally, I, because I'm really excited to see a trailer. But, no, it was a fan trailer. It was all BS. I'm like, eh. You know, what a letdown. It's, um, they're playing with their emotions, gang. <laughs> well, they're, at least they're playing with my emotions. I'm like, I want to see content. Instant gratification, you know, first world problems. Oh goodness! But yeah, I was I was kind of let down. I was really looking forward to that. Uh, let's see, what do I got to cover today? We've got a, a whole bunch of things. Um, you know, one of the things that bring us together as nerds and geeks is is our our community of content. You know, like, for example, um, I'm going to be 42 next May, and, you know, I I watch cartoons. I still, well, when I have time, I I watch cartoons, I'll say. Uh, I did sit down and I watched the entire second season of um, Castlevania, which was really good. I really enjoyed that. But, I mean, to even go back further, I mean, some... Okay, for example, like uh, SpongeBob. You know, I, I've I've listened to SpongeBob in the background and and watched quite a few episodes. And I've watched them. Um, my niece, who is uh, she'll be twenty, and in February, I remember her being a little girl loving SpongeBob. And in fact, like my seventeen-year-old son, he loved SpongeBob all the way to my two girls. And my two girls are seven and three. You know, so SpongeBob is is been around and i think i don't know if it it necessarily would qualify as a geek quality but it's it's definitely part of the community you know it's something that we can all come together and enjoy and we all tie into as a collective you know and I bring this up because it's it's sad news that I found out. I in fact I found out yesterday night as we're getting ready to go to bed. My son Jay, I had told me about this, and I was like, "Wow, really? There's no mention about it hardly anywhere." I had to go look for it, 
And that's uh, Stephen Hellenberg, the creator of SpongeBob. He passed away yesterday. Um, well, as of me recording this yesterday. And um, he was only 57. And, and I, I felt kind of bad because, you know, sitting here, I, I know that people have stigmas. I mean, of course, like Bill Maher. And I decided I'm not even going to mess with Bill Maher. I'm sure he has more content out there. But I'm not even going to put his name out there because he just keeps talking crap just to get the limelight. So I'm not even going to mess with him. But there are people that are legitimately like him and believe that just because it's a cartoon or it's it's a kid, kid-based, you know, that it's not legitimate art and that it shouldn't be taken seriously. But know that it is – it's a business. And, uh, you know, Steve Hillenberg, he he did the business. You know, he, he created it. He sold it, marketed it, and he was a, a millionaire when he died. And just because he wasn't uh, you know some all right i'm gonna say it, a politician or something you know he didn't get the same respect now i i say that and i know that stan lee's in the back of my mind and, and i'm sure you're probably thinking well stan lee got that respect but you know what stan lee was 95 years old and he did things that nobody has ever and probably never will do. So that's that's you know he was able to he was able to touch people's lives that were way past what the age group of what uh, Hellenberg did. You know because Hellenberg, like I said, my my niece she'll be twenty, so he had a twenty year run. And it just bothers me. It, it, it bothers me because he should he should have been in the headlines. His passing should have been you know headline news. And to be told at night, and then I, when I got up this morning after I got everything done, I had to go and, and literally look around online. And I even went to Snoops, Snoops.com, to make sure that it wasn't, you know, some hoax, because hardly anybody touched on it. And it's sad because people should be talking about this. He was a creator, and regardless if you're my age or older, or especially if you're within the the twenty on down range, listening to this, you should know. SpongeBob, and you should, you know, you, you, I'm sure you want to know that the guy that created him passed away. You would think. Um, so anyway, uh, he passed away. Let me, let's see, it says creator SpongeBob SquarePants dies at 57, just too, too young. Um, Let's see. I'm hoping that this radio thing doesn't blare my ears out again. I tried this earlier and uh, it just it started audio playing, and my feedback levels are high, so I can hear myself better. 
and um, it almost blew my ears out. Um, it says Los Angeles SpongeBob SquarePants creator Steven Hillenburg, who brought the zany cartoon Marine Underworld of Bikini Bottom to television, movies, and the stage, has died at the age of 57, the Nickelodeon Television Network said on Tuesday. Hellenberg had said last year that he suffered from ALS disease, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. He died on Monday. We are incredibly saddened by the news that Stephen Hellenberg has passed away following his battle with ALS, the network said in a statement. He was a beloved friend and longtime creative partner to everyone at Nickelodeon, and our hearts go out to his entire family. Hellenberg was a marine biology teacher in Southern California when he started creating sea creatures as teaching tools. The first episode of SpongeBob SquarePants featured a cheerful yellow sea sponge who lived in an underworld pineapple and his friend Mr. Krabs, Larry the Lobster, Patrick, and Krusty the Crab restaurant hangout aired on U.S. television in May in 1999. When the series went, in, went on to win multiple awards, produced a se series of spinoff books, two Hollywood movies, and a Broadway musical, the television series aired in more than 200 nations and has been translated into more than 60 languages. And I had to go look it up. Isn't that sad? I mean, really, I, I had to legitimately go find this article. And then it's, uh, and I don't even know this website. It's AS, where, let's see, let me find it. ABS-CBN.com. I don't even know the website, but I found it, you know. Um, let's see. It says Steve. Let's see. Where, where is it? Um, let's see. Steve created SpongeBob SquarePants with a unique, unique sense of humor and innocence that has brought joy to generations of kids, families everywhere. Nickelodeon statement said. His utterly original characters and the world of Bikini Bottom will long stand as a reminder of the value of opticism, friendship, and the limitless power of imagination. And that's, I don't know, man. It's just sad. It's just sad. I, I you know, I, I did a few years ago. Well, it's been more than a few years now, I think, but um, they were doing the ACLS or ALS. Sorry, ACLS is a medical term. Um, the ALS challenge. Remember, and everybody was dumping cold water on each other. And um, I, I participated in it, and I, I and there's a video of me floating around somewhere getting dumped on, and. Um, I was thinking, you know, that that initial sting is is what ALS is the feeling, but it's constant, and that's why people did it is for that initial initial sting as an honor to the the patients with ALS, and um, 
you know, just, just the thought of that pain is just heartbreaking. It's it's a it's a heartbreaking disease, and and unfortunately, it's claimed another life. So, I thank you, Stephen. I thank you for the laughs, and I thank you for the imagination. All right, kids. Um, let's see. Where do I want to go? You know, I haven't seen creed 2 i loved creed 1 that was such a good good movie the first one so i'm hoping to see part two um hopefully eventually uh but did you know and and this is what this is uh article saying is that sylvester stallone signals he's retiring from the rocky role and i i kind of get that but you know hmm I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being selfish because I, I've always liked Rocky. I mean, I got, the, you know, the Rocky movie and, and all that. It's just I maybe I'm just being selfish. <laughs> uh, but it says, I guess I should give it credit. It's uh, CBR.com is who this is. And it says Sylvester Stallone signals retiring in the Rocky role. Sylvester Stallone may be hanging up his boxing gloves for good. As he indicated, Creed II may be his final appearance as the Philadelphia boxer Rocky Balboa. In an Instagram post, the actor shared a video taken on his final day on set of the sequel, which uh, director Stephen Capel Jr. and Michael B. Star, ugh, can't talk, Star Michael B. Jordan, were... He, he announced he would step in back to allow Jordan's Adonis Creed carry the franchise forward in the new for a new generation. And um, yeah, I, I get that. Anyway, uh, it says, and it's, this is from his official uh, Instagram. It says, "I am reposting this because there is technical difficulty. I just wanted to thank everyone around the whole wide world." For taking the Rocky family into their hearts for over 40 years. It's been an ultimate privilege to have been able to create and play this meaningful character. Though it breaks my heart, sadly, all things must pass and end. I love, I love you kind and generous people. And the most wonderful thing of all is that Rocky will never die because he lives on in you. Oh, that kind of makes me feel sad too. Maybe this was I think that's probably what we'll name this episode. That makes me feel sad. Uh, it says, This is probably my last rodeo because what I thought happened has happened. I never expected. I thought Rocky was done in 2006, and I was very happy with that, explained Stallone in, the, in a video. When all of a sudden, this young man, Michael B. Jordan, presented himself and the whole story changed. It went on to a new generation, new problems, new adventures, and I couldn't be happier as I stepped back because my story has been told. There's a whole new world that's going to be opening up with the audience in this generation. Now you have to carry the mantle. Stallone had created the character of Rocky Balboa in 1976, writing the script for the, for the film as well as starring as the title character. 
The film went on to win Best Picture, with Stallone nominated for Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay. With the movie catapulting him into international superstardom, Stallone would go on to write and star in the, the subsequent five sequels, as well as directing all but 1990's Rocky V. After writing, directing, and starring in 2006 Rocky Balboa, Stallone retired the character and the franchise before it was revived by filmmaker Ryan Kolig in 2015's Creed. Stallone would reprise the role of Rocky, receiving a nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Creed marks Stallone's eighth and reportedly final appearance as the character. Creed II, directed by Stephen Caple Jr., from the script of Sylvester Stallone and Huel Taylor. The film stars Michael B. Jordan, Sylvester Stallone, Tessa Thompson, Dolph Lundgren, Florin Mintuu. The film is not out in th er, the film is out in theaters everywhere now. So, you know, that that's kind of sad news because I um I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see – well, number one, I like the idea of how the past and the present tie in together, you know, um, and I, I really like the idea of how Rocky's world is rolling over into Adonis's world, and I, I, I just – I'm looking forward to seeing it. In fact, to be honest with you, if you can see right now, I'm actually on my iPhone. I'm pulling up my movie app. I'm kind of curious to see when, uh, what are good times to go see it. <laughs> uh, I don't know if my son would want to watch it or not. I, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, yeah. I think I'll have to go see it pretty soon. Sooner and later, actually. Maybe. Possibly. Most likely. But yeah, um, I, I just kind of, I don't know, guys. There's just so much. I, I get it. I get that he's handing it off to someone else. It's, uh, to me, that's very admirable. And it's very creative, too. But, you know, you, you can't have two Rockies, you know, an old one and a new one, uh, you know, two stories going on at the same time. It just doesn't really work. One has to fade away as the, the other one takes over. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, um, oh, my gosh, I just went, I just had a brain fart. Mick. Mick, you know, Mick, his tra uh, Rocky's trainer, you know, he passed away. So his story end, and even though we didn't, we only caught the very tail end of that story, you know, his story had to end in order for Rocky's to continue. And that's kind of what's happening is Rocky's story is coming to an end so Adonis Creed's can continue. And, um, yeah. yeah because like I said, you, you can't have two stories going on at the same time speaking of stories going on at the same time 
Wow. Okay, here we go. Um, so it says, I'm looking at this article. It says, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse Early Reviews Praise Its Style and Freshness. Um, that is a lot going on in this movie. And don't get me wrong, I want to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but wow, that is what uh six versions of spider-man i believe you've got uh spider-man no more peter parker spider-man miles morales you got spider ham you got spider gwen and then oh um his daughter i can't think of his daughter's name but yeah she goes on to be spider girl so you know there's six stories being told at one time that's that's gonna be uh an undertaking if you ask me i think it's going to be an undertaking because that's a lot of storytelling but they're they're saying okay you know the early release i'm okay let's see what it says it says sony has dazzled audience with this series of stylish fast-paced trailers for spider-man into the spider-verse building anticipation for the first animated entry in the studio's long-running film hand tries but with the lifting this morning of the review embargo comes the feature's first true test. And by all accounts, it passed with flying colors. Written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rotham. Rotham. Where have I heard that name, Rotham, before? Oh. Um... Try not to go down a rabbit hole, but yeah, I know that name. Anyway, uh, so written by Phil Lord, Rodney Rotham, Into the Spider-Verse places the focus on Miles Morales, a Brooklyn teen who is trying to juggle high school with a career as the web-slinging superhero. That already complicated life is turned upside down when Miles learns that he's not the only Spider-Man. There are parallel worlds. Each is with its own spider hero. And he must team up with some of them to save the multiverse. Early reviews lavish praise on the film's animation style and fresh approach to the property that long established. And has been explored again and again over the decades in comic books, television, and live action film. Here's a selection of the critics are saying uh okay this one is alex abad santos vox okay the new animated movie is sleek and soaring a wonderful peekin to the spirit of stan lee and steve ditko's legendary web slinger embodying the relentless hope and optimism of the hero in such a classic way but it also unearths exhilarating new ground by the way of specular divisions from the norm that Marvel Cinema Universe and live-action filmmaking don't always allow for. That makes it feel like something tremendously innovative while still traditionally spidey. Okay, okay, that's cool. Uh, this one is from the Business Insider. Spider-Man. Into the Spider-Verse. Best animated movie of the year. There you go. That's to put on a... a um, I was going to say a box cover. A DVD cover. Well, that was short and sweet.
Uh, let's see. Next one. Todd McCarthy, Hollywood Reporter. There is an upside and a downside to these multiverses. Of benefit is the constant purpose, the sheer variety of visual and plunges into funhouse craziness. The increasingly abundant negatives are sensory overload and overkill. A feeling that the film, it pitched first and foremost to be the insider geek content that will get all the jokes and re uh, references, plus a growing sense that nothing matters because it's dealing in different realms that come and go in a flash which they indeed do. Cunicularly, can't talk. The result is that just as things should be exciting, building, and arousing the climax, nothing sticks, nothing matters. By the time it feels that, by rights, the film should be hitting the climax and wrapping things up, it, pitch, it pitches headlong into geek verse and keeps spinning around there for far too long. So, uh, Hollywood Reporter obviously is not a geek and should not be watching stuff like Spider-Man because it is a geek medium, okay? If you don't like it, don't watch it. I don't get that. Are you just going to, you know, gripe and complain? Self-edit. But, uh, okay, so this one is Susanna Polo, Polygon, Spider-Verse oozes style, which is not hard to do when you're working with Spider-Man, arguably the most graphically perfect superhero costume created outside of the dawn of genre, and is instantly iconic consuming offshoots and amazing friends. Okay, that's interesting. Now, this one comes from Darren French, Entertainment Weekly, and then we'll switch gears after this one. It says, Spider-Verse has plenty of small delights, and it looks unique. You walk away wondering what a Miles Morales adventure will look like when it does, or, sorry, let me try it again. Adventure will look like when it doesn't also have the meditation on the critical criticality of Peter Parker's Monomyth. Hmm. Good question. I like it more than Homecoming. Really? Okay. Well, I really liked Homecoming. And it sure is better than the Amazing Spider-Mans. Anything's better than Amazing Spider-Mans. But for the film that invites so much self-aware over the franchise in a jokingly, you feel Spider-Verse has missed something essential from its own screen history. Really interesting. Huh. I wonder, wonder why. wonder why you go that route. That's interesting. I'm just looking to see. I know I said there's that was going to be the last one, but I'm just seeing if there's anything else. Uh, of course, it, it is here at the bottom. It's directed by Bob Persinski. I, I'm not sure. Um, Peter Ramsey, Rodney Rotham. There's that name again. I, I know, I know him from somewhere. 
uh, Into the Spider-Verse with a whole bunch of names that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But it comes out December 14th, 2018. So, coming out here pretty soon. Uh, I am looking forward to seeing it. Uh, uh, but I will honestly be... I'll, I'll be truthful. I'd rather, much rather, uh, watch Creed. Um, I don't know if my son will want to go. We, he might, because he, when he was a little boy, he loved spider-man i mean he had spider-man everything in fact he still has a few spider-man things but he, he went on to iron man because iron man was a genius and he liked tech and that that grabbed his appeal but when he was a little boy he loved spider-man and i know that we went and we saw um oh what is it um homecoming together so i don't know if he wants to see into the spider-verse I think that'll be fun. Either way, it'll be fun. Okay, let's see. Where do I want to go from here? We've got a few more. How about we talk about some wrestling? I haven't talked about wrestling in a long time. I don't know. Honestly, I'm not even sure if I've ever talked about wrestling on this show. Um... But I do enjoy watching wrestling. I stopped for a long time. Um, I grew up under the Hulk Hogan era, you know, Hulkamania kind of thing. I hardcore uh, wrestling fan then, and then um, uh, let's see, I watched the Bret Hart era before he turned bad. And then I kind of fell out for a long, long time. Um, and I started watching WCW. And then, then from from 90, yikes, 95, 94, something like that. 95, 94. Uh, let's go back even further. Um when i okay i remember watching the first nitro okay so i used to watch wcw saturday night and then they came out with nitro and that one what year was that let's let's ask siri shall we that's always a a good i wish i got paid by apple let's see siri Siri, when did WCW Nitro first debut? Okay, I found this on the web for when did WCW Nitro first debut. Okay, and it says September 4th, 1995. So, okay, so I, I was full-on WCW fan by 95, which I'm actually going to say was probably closer to 93 to be honest with you because i watched the wcw saturday night anyway i watched it all the way up until 2001 um just recently i actually watched the final nitro because i could never bring myself to watch it and uh, now I've, I've kind of faded in i'll oh, see i i think i stopped wrestling watching wrestling again after that after wcw was purchased and then 
it was around 2009, 2010, I started watching wrestling again. And I've intermittently been watching it throughout the years, not really following along. And I'd say in the last two years, um, I started watching it. I know last year, last year I was really heavy into uh, Mexican wrestling um, and got into Lucha Underground. And now I'm kind of watching WWE again, just waiting for new stuff for the Lucha Underground. But Lucha is my favorite, but... Anyway, that, that's kind of a long, drawn-out history of my my fandom for the wrestling. Um, and during the time I was watching it uh, was when CM Punk made his, you know, he, he became the WWE champion. And then he lost it to The Rock, and then he just kind of disappeared. Um Oh, okay. I don't know how to, to work this in, so I'll just read you the, the name of the article. Oh, and by the way, this is uh, comicbook.com slash WWE. And it says, CM Punk open to pro wrestling return. Well, yeah, after two defeats at uh, MMA, yeah, I, I could kind of see why. He's probably running out of money. It says, the question of whether or not CM Punk will ever return to professional wrestling has been floating around ever since he left WWE in 2014. While the former WWE champion has stated outright on numerous occasions that he wasn't interested in a return to Vince McMahon's promotion anytime soon, he did leave the door open a crack for a different kind of return. A new interview with MMA fight Mark Ramomidibu. I don't know. I don't know that name. Sorry, guys. During the interview in which Punk was promoting his debut as MMA commentator at the upcoming Cage Fury Fighting Championship event on December 14th, Punk was asked about the recent rumor that Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and several members of the Elite were looking to start their own promotion in 2019. Punk didn't say outright that he'd wrestle for the hypothetical promotion, but did say he'd listen if approached. If those guys all go and start their own thing, more power to them, Punk said. Let me bring it full circle again. I am not actively pursuing, really, much of anything. I just kind of floating. And it's a nice thing to be able to do that and just kind of float and hang out. If somebody wants to pick up the phone, like CFFC promoter Dave Schuller did and called me up and say, Hey, we really think you're, you'd be good at this and we want you to be a part of your company, they can call me up and make me an offer. That has reminded me to be seen. Or that... <laughs> I read that wrong. That remained to be seen. Pro wrestling is not on my radar. I would always listen to an offer, he added. I'd listen to them because just like Dave, I like the Young Bucks. 
I text with Matt on and off, but business is business. There is ample speculation that Punk would appear in an all-in event back in September 1st, given that it was near Punk's hometown of Chicago and had no affiliation with the WWE. Rhodes claimed in an interview that he and the Bucks had reached out to Punk, but Punk refuted the claim that the offer was put on the table for him to wrestle. Hmm, interesting. Also goes on to say, sometimes I forget I'm podcasting and start reading <laughs> and not read out loud. Um, it says, I know Cody was out there in the media saying that an offer was made, Punk said. An offer was not made, calling me up or texting me saying, hey, if you want to come to, show, to the show and do something, we would love that. Is not an offer. That is not an offer. Okay, he wants us straight out. We're going to give you big bucks to come wrestle and put put people in that really crappy anaconda vice. Yeah, I sorry. Anywhere in the interview or elsewhere in the interview, Punk stated that he was still under contract with the UFC since joining the promotion in 2014. Punk's venue has closed and the venture into the world of mixed martial arts hasn't been very successful given his zero and two and pro bouts. Yeah, 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 I don't know, gang. It's, um, see, I liked the character CM Punk, the character CM Punk, but, um, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't don't take yourself too serious, okay? I think of anybody. I think Hulk Hogan could be the one to tell you this. It doesn't matter what name you are; you're not above the company. And you know, I don't know, guys. I just I would like to see the character CM Punk back, but just you know, come in, be lighthearted. Don't don't be a a jerk you know just do your job go home if that's the way it works all right let's see what else we got we've got a couple more uh, let's see anybody that knows me knows that i'm a, a pretty big uh comic book no, not comic book. Well, yeah, I'm a comic book fan, too. I don't know why I said comic book. Uh, actually, I do, because this one is uh, comic book resources. But I'm also a huge zombie fan. Um, I've been a, a zombie fan for years. I was writing a, a story, a modern zombie tale, uh, in the early part of 2000 for the World of Myth magazine called The End, and I was doing studying for zombies. And I... I mean, I've, I've always had watched, like, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead. Um, but I never really fell into the George Romero version of zombies. And that's kind of where I fell into. And that's kind of like, I don't know, that, that really started my, my passion for zombies. Anyway, I, I mean, even though I'm, I'm not a big video game 
uh, player. I, I know about Resident Evil. Um, and I've watched a few of their movies, but they're doing a reboot. And of course, with everything, there's there's always, you know, like we live in the, the world of reboots at the moment. And I'm looking at this article and I'm like, okay, okay, this will be cool because I think, how do I say this? I'm, I'm open to a horror-based zombie, you know, because Resident Evil became more of an action than a horror. And I think that's where the zombies in general have turned into an action more than horror. And I'm, I'm open to this idea. And the idea is, it says, Resident Evil Reboot will return to horror roots. And I like that idea. I, I do. Um, I think it's a, a good idea to do something like that. So let's see. I'm running out of time here, but let's see if I can get through this. It says, the planned Resident Evil Reboot will take the franchise back to horror roots. Based on the hit video game franchise, the original Resident Evil film based increasingly defined by its absurdity over-the-top action. In doing so, they left behind some of the game's trademark horror elements. However, the upcoming reboot producer James Wan, Conjuring and Aquaman, will lean more into frightening imagery rather than the bonkers action. Speaking with disgusting films, the screenwriter Greg Russo explained he wanted to return to the series to a horror-based tone of the game, especially cited 2017's Resident Evil 7 Biohazard as the inspiration for his script. Russo also spoke about the legacy the prior film series left behind. Not to shame the original film franchise that was made. I think they did very well, he said. When you create a fresh reboot and look at the over-the-top action of the Paul Anderson franchise, it was fun and really cool. But at the end of the day, for me, as a fan of the original game franchise, I always considered the franchise to be horror at the front forefront and action as a secondary feature. So... It's just made sense to go back to the horror roots. I totally get that. Absolutely. The writer also noted that the involvement with Resident Evil ended with him as he submitted his draft. So I'm not sure what they really are going to do with it. Constantine film executive Martin Marsalski suggested in May that the reboot could be destined for television rather than for film uh, I don't know guys uh, there's a lot happening in the world of television right now and um, yeah you know I, I'm, I'm I don't know I, I like the idea of making it more horror based because it, it would be kind of a fresh take on it. Because we're getting to the point where, um, I don't know, it's, like you said, it was over-the-top bonkers action. And it took away from the horror element. And, of course, zombies are supposed to be horrifying, scary. 
I, I think that's maybe why I was more drawn to the George Romero version of the zombies than um, John A. Russo's is because Russo's zombies were more comical as where Russo's were more serious and kind of scary on the scary end. All right, so we've got one last article to cover. And, of course, I save it for last because, well, I'm a big X-Men fan. And um, when lose or draw, I, I will always love that franchise. There a lot of history, you know, and I've said this many, many, many times before, is that I, um, I, I started collecting X-Men in uh well i i came to know the x-men in 1987 and three years later is when i actually started actively collecting the x-men comic books so this one is the x-men just met the horsemen of salvation and it didn't go well now i've never even heard of the uh the Horsemen of Salvation. I've never heard of them. So that's that's kind of interesting. And of course, I'm uh, obligated to say that there is a spoiler warning. And this article contains spoilers for Uncanny X-Men number 3 by Matthew Rothen, Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, Ed Burson, and a whole bunch of collectives on sale now. It says, months after tease, the Horsemen of Salvation has finally made their official debut on the Uncanny X-Men. Surprisingly, this unlikely group of X-Men and X-Villains is only causing more trouble for the X-Men team that was already facing multiple crises. Over the course of the X-Men disassembled, Marvel's premier mutant team has had to deal with everything from rampaging dinosaurs and missing team members and the return of Legion, Professor X's ultra-powerful, unstable son, son, S-O-N, not S-U-N, who controlled thousands of multiple men duplicates. Hmm. Now, during an anti-mutant protest, at the Xavier Estate for Mutant Education and Outreach in New York City's Central Park, Legion and the X-Men are scuffling when the Horsemen of Salvation land on their doorstep in Uncanny X-Men number 3. Apparently, led by Magneto, the Horsemen of Salvation include the X-Men's Angel and two other X-Villains, the Blob and Omega Red. After Angel tells his former ex-teammates that the horsemen are there to save the world, Magneto identifies himself as the Horseman of Peace and promptly blows up the ex-mansion to put an end to those who create war. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um... Okay. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I can do this. I can do this, gang. I can do this. Okay, it says, While we don't know much about them yet, the Horsemen of Salvation appear to be the inversion of the Horsemen of Apocalypse. 
While Apocalypse's team of the horsemen of death, famine, pestilence, and war, Magneto's team features horsemen of life, bounty, wellness, and peace. In the same way that Apocalypse's horsemen are transformed into mysterious and monstrous versions of themselves, the horsemen of salvation have dramatic redesigns involving flowing robes, facial markings since their last appearance. I'm just going back up here and looking at this again. Oh boy. Why? <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, it says, after making a return of the outright villainy, Magneto formed a new brotherhood of evil mutants in X-Men Blue and freed several young mutants from captivity in X-Men Black Magneto. While the Blob was also last seen as a villain in X-Men Blue, Omega Red joined Sabretooth's Weapon X-Force and has been acting more like a hero recently. It's worth noting that Omega Red also has a clone, but apparently just died in Return of Wolverine number 2. While those villains' transformations were largely unseen, it seems like Angel's transformation started a few weeks ago in Uncanny X-Men number 1, while he was attending a political rally with the X-Men. Angel was summoned by some unseen force that compelled him to fly away from his teammates in the heat of battle. On a similar note, Magneto says that the Horsemen of Salvation serve a master, though he hasn't revealed who he, his master was. Okay. Let's see. They're villains. Even though they're 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 still villains, so I'm gonna say the Shadow King. Let's see if I'm right. A couple months now from now. Uh, while all this uh, remnants of Angel's transformation into Archangel, Apocalypse's mind-controlled Horseman of Death. That's probably not what's happening here. And given the cover, or given the covers plural, to the next several issues of Uncanny X-Men, the Horseman Master is almost certainly to be revealed as the X-Men Age of Apocalypse hero, Nate Gray. Hmm. Uh, let's see. In the 1990s, X-Men was essentially a... X-Man was essentially a younger cable in a dark apocalyptic controlled alternate reality. Although he made his way into the main Marvel Universe and played a fairly large role in several years, an ultra-powerful Nate Gray has appeared, hasn't appeared much over the past decade. With the Age of X-Men crossover set to take place on the X-Men world in the early 2019, Nate Gray is about to come back in a major way. Although it is not clear what Age of X-Men will entail, well, duh! Age of Apocalypse, Age of X-Men. So, yeah, okay, that's easy. Well, until it seems like the Horsemen of Salvation are well positioned to play a big role 
and the lead-up to this event as X-Men Disassembled continues in its weekly Uncanny X-Men, we'll discover just what and who else the horsemen are willing to destroy in the name of peace sake. Okay, kids, let me break this down for you real fast, and I'm going to save you some bucks here, okay? Uh, because I was around in the 1990s, and I bought the Age of Apocalypse, and Age of Apocalypse is what happens when Apocalypse took control of the world, okay? So now they're doing Age of the X-Men, which is Nate Gray. So instead of Apocalypse taking control of the world, Nate Gray takes control of the world, and he runs it, uh, you know, and through the eyes of salvation and all that stuff, instead of being uh, horrible. Now, he's thinking that he's a good guy, and they're all wonderful people. And as you find out, you're going to find out that these horsemen, the four horsemen of salvation, are not really the characters that are in this timeline. They're from the X-Man timeline, where he rules things. And somehow they're going to end up in a big fight. Somebody's going to die on the main roster, and it's going to be forgotten by June. So there you go. I just saved you a whole bunch of money. <laughs> oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Good times, good times. All right, kids, that is it for me. Um, I had a lot to say to this episode, didn't I? Goodness. We're already pushing the 50-something mark. All right, kids. I think that's enough for this week. Um, come back next week, and we'll do it more. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's always, there's always good stories to be told in the world of nerddom. So, for My Public Life as an American Nerd, I am David Kimontoya, and for this week, I bid you adieu.